Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, but of course co-host of our own Wag the Dug podcast. That podcast, that all started with the Shortcuts appearance. Yeah. So the last time I was on Shortcuts, we were talking about the disastrous press conference that Patrick Brown held after he was accused of sexual misconduct, which led him to step down as PC leader, leaving the space for Doug Ford to run, win the election, and hence Wag the Doug was born. Thank you, Patrick Brown. Glad to have you back, Allison. Thanks. Today we're going to talk about the cross-country manhunt for two alleged murderers and the media who will not rest until we answer the question... Are they nice boys? And we will talk about Ontario News Now. Has Doug Ford's fake news propaganda channel sold out? Now I don't believe in nothing. Allison, this episode of Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Robert Maddock, Isaac Valley, Tyler Raponi, Emily McIver, Melissa Loiseau, Danny Gray, Jonathan Van Amberg, and John Burridge. My name is John Burridge, and I'm a headshot photographer in Toronto. 
I support Canada Land because there's nothing else like it, Canadian or otherwise. Not only does it provide handy retorts to right-wing populist half-truths, Canada Land and its family of podcasts just make me care about subjects that would otherwise pass me by. So, yay Canada Land, and may it continue to find its seat at the table and disrupt other people's shit. Allison, I don't know about you, but I've come to depend on Ontario News Now as a trusted source of information about our provincial government here in Ontario. Intrepid reporter Lindsay Vanstone seems to have incredible access to our premier. And uh, the news reports on um, Doug Ford's state-created and taxpayer-funded Ontario News Now are really my Bible when it comes to understanding my life as a citizen in Ontario. It's a great place to go if you want the premier to wish you Happy New Year's. Yeah, and it always leaves a smile on my face. So I heard this report and I took interest in it. We're here at Peely Island Winery in Kingsville with my all-star MVP, Rick Nichols. Go out and buy a bottle of Peely Island wine. It's great. It's coming to a convenience store close to you. Now, that's news that I can use. And uh, I went out and uh, bought myself a bottle of Peely Island. No, I didn't buy any Peely Island wine. What I did, though, is learn, uh, I think through your reporting, that... That shout out, that outright endorsement, that that advertisement for Peely Island Wine was like, I guess you could call it sponsored content, unmarked sponsored content. That sort of seems like what might have happened. I mean, it's hard to say for sure the exact intent of uh, what we know about this. But what we do know is that Peely Winery's president, Walter Schmaranz, made a $1,000 donation to the Ontario PC Party on July 12th, which was basically just over two weeks before Doug Ford visited said winery, walked around in that video with Walter Schmaranz. He's in that, taking them on a tour. That led uh, some Twitter users actually uncovered this, not I, uh, that initial connection. I saw it because Boycott Peely Winery was, was trending on Twitter earlier this week, and I was like, what's going on? And then figured it out. It was very easy to verify all of that information, which is when I started reporting it. All right, but I'm overstating things, of course. I mean, it's not like this happens all the time. It's not like people give Doug Ford uh, his party money and then he goes on his uh, state-made propaganda TV channel and bigs up their product and, and does, you know, advertisements. Right, Allison? Well, you were joking about being a consumer of Ontario News Now, but I, as a reporter on Doug Ford, am an actual uh, consumer of Ontario News Now. I'm I've so watched <laughs> lots and lots of these videos. So I knew once this Peely Island one came out that there were lots more in the bank of Doug Ford doing these random factory tours or seemingly random factory tours when he would go to uh, various regions of the province. Um, so I went back and watched a bunch of them. Literally the first one I watched, which was only from last week, two companies were featured in it. And the owner of one and the founder of the other, whose son is now uh, the operates it, so family businesses, both had donated chunks of change to the Ontario PC party within the last two years. So immediately I was able to establish a pattern and went back and found a few more. I have four. What kind of businesses are these? 
so these ones, unlike Peely Island, they're not consumer-facing businesses. So you you can't boycott. I mean, you can, but it's going to be a lot harder to get people to boycott a metal supply firm uh, <laughs> because who knows. But most businesses would benefit from the having the premier show up, shake their employees' hands, and you know make a video ostensibly saying that they're great employers and part of the fabric of Ontario, which is sort of the overall message of these of these videos. And in a few of the cases, the actual owners or founders of the company are pictured in the videos. They do cameos where they plug Doug Ford's policies, you know, say red tape is really reduction is so important to me and we're glad the PCs are doing it. Or uh, in another case, a vice president of one of these companies, she said the phrase promises made, promises kept, which is, you know, Doug Ford's tagline. And in none of the cases are they identified as PC donors. Right. I find this thing so funny because the idea that they're falling short of journalistic standards. They should be disclosing <laughs> on this thing, which itself is just a piece of pure, like, galling propaganda that this right. even exists. It's funny, like, to lose faith in Ontario News now as, <laughs> as if it was ever a trusted anything. Like, and I don't I don't think it's just like any it's uh, transactional in that specific way of like, I'm going to give his party a thousand bucks. He's going to then advertise my product and it's going to do really well. I think it's probably much more likely that, you know, as Ford does his photo ops and takes these videos. He's got to pick a business to go visit. He's trying to show that Ontario is open for business. I don't think he thinks there's anything wrong with this. Like, why not pick a friendly business? Why not pick a business that has given us money? And then when he's there, they understand the deal. They're there to say this is a great premier and to big up his policies. He's there to big up their product. Even if it's not a retail-facing product where you're going to move more bottles of wine, it still looks good for the employees to see, oh, look, my boss is powerful. Competitors, it's a, you know, that's a competitive advantage. To, you know, if you're thinking about doing business with that company, like, wow, this company has real clout. Like, they have access to the premier. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to get into business with these people. And whether or not the intention is to sell that kind of access or sell that kind of business advantage, once you've done it three or four times, now that's what you're selling. Now I'm like, wow, that's pretty cheap. I can give a thousand bucks to the Ontario PCs and I'm in the midst of some kind of business deal where an open question is, is Jesse going to be able to get the government to give him the zoning he needs or something like that? You know, like like they're now for sale in that way. Right. And that's exactly what the opposition parties are saying. I mean, they're calling it cash for access. They're calling it pay to play politics. For as long as Ontario News Now has existed, I mean, it's been unliked and and highly criticized because of its fake reporting structure. Because it's fake? Because it pretends to be a news broadcast? It pretends to be a news news broadcast? Yes, absolutely. I I don't use fake news. I hate how overused fake news is. But those words make sense in describing Ontario News Now. Right. So it's been used to promote the PC party. And I think what this is showing, this, this report, is that it's also helping them out in more ways than we even realized, right? I mean, these videos have all been public, but has anybody even thought the idea that you posit that, like, it looks good on these companies to have the premier come and visit them? Like, that was never my interpretation of what had been going on with with these videos, but it's it's totally true. 
Yeah. And the weird thing is like it feels like it's it's smelly on so many fronts. Like it's a it's a smelly application of a smelly format. Well, one thing notable about all four of those and the Peleale one, so five of these company visits that we're talking about, none of them were part of any official government news announcement. So there was never notification the premier was going there. He didn't go there for any sort of thing. So he wasn't anytime, announcing new policy or he wasn't, anything like no, that. No, and then anytime he did go somewhere for a thing, there was no ties. The company has no ties to him, right? He went to SodaStream That's interesting. to be, you know, bolster their success. But SodaStream isn't donating to the Ontario PC party that I could see. So it's kind of, it's these quiet ones, right? It's these ones where he's just dipping into this place when he's in town that are the ones that are actually... Um, Coughing ethic. up cash. Yeah. Isn't there some ethics commissioner? Like, uh, is this against any rules? This is a wag the dog uh, question. Yeah. I mean, I feel like at this point, the ethics, yeah, the integrity commissioner has been asked to investigate a whole lot of stuff and I think has declined a couple of the investigations just because they're not within their mandate. And like the big one they did into Ron Tavener, lots of kind of secrets came out of it, but they basically said he didn't break the rules. So I don't know how more frequently they're going to be punting stuff to the integrity commissioner because it isn't really getting results, although they still might. I think the bigger issue and why this blew up as a hashtag and, and, and has people's eyes all over it is because it plays into all of the optics about Doug Ford that people don't like, right? That he's not for the people, that he's a crony or like is all about Well, that he cronyism. governs by cronyism, but also yeah. that he's for sale. Right. Although I should say, we'll say what the premier's office said. They said, A, that he did not know about the donation from the Peely Island president before it happened. Doug okay. Ford had no idea, which is a line they've used on a lot of stuff recently. Are they recently. saying that, yeah, like that nobody there had any idea or that the premier had no idea? They said the premier had no idea. Um, and also, quote, uh, as the premier's always said, no one can buy Doug Ford. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what 
Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Alison Smith, you've been here before. You know that we note duly things that have perhaps gone unnoticed or not noticed duly enough. What do you have? I want to duly note a report from the Wall Street Journal from late last week that Vice Media may acquire Refinery29. Yeah, I did see that, but I didn't know what to make of it. What do you make of that? Well, for listeners who don't know, I'll just describe what Refinery29 is. It's like an online women's style magazine. I think it's been around for about 15 years. They do a pretty wide range of content that I would consider pretty good for the medium that they work in. They write about politics, career and money advice. They have like shopping tips. It's geared to millennial women, but it has like an overall kind of helpful, kind, self-care, but like useful journalistic tinge to it. All of those words are very off-brand for Vice. Exactly. That's where where I'm going with it. They also expanded to Canada last year uh-huh. and have hired a few people. I think the team is very small. They're also really known for money diaries that are super popular because they're like kind of trolly, but it's like how to survive in New York City on $250,000 a year. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a very Toronto life uh, rage baiting. They have a of. bit of, yeah, a bit of that. But then they'll also do ones of like how to survive in New York City on $18 an hour. And it's like a student who lives with her parents. Right. So the issue is obviously the culture of this company and the culture of Vice are very different. One very broy, one very girly, I guess. And. Why would Vice want to do this? So why Refinery29 might want to do this is that they were valuated for, I think, $500 million in 2016, back at a time when non-subscriber-based, non-paywalled media company that had tons of audience and clicks could be valued at that yeah, price. Yeah, those, those valuations have tumbled those since Those have then. tumbled since then. So that company's laid off, I think, 10% of its workforce late last year. So it's obviously struggling and its business model's not sustainable. So it's looking for a buyer to survive is what it seems like. But what is the incentive for Vice? Because Vice's CEO, Nancy LaDuke, has like talked to various media over the past six months about strategies that they have planned. And a lot of it was they need to diversify like Vice Studios, Vice Marketing Arm, and like get away from just being a digital media company, which makes it seem odd that their first move to get away from being a digital media company would just be to acquire another digital Digital media media company. company. It does seem odd to me just because I know that Vice right now to be acquiring anything is strange. They're, they've been laying off people. They've been really exactly, diminishing yeah. their journalism. Uh, they've been collapsing verticals. They had a women's vertical called That's Broadly. Exactly, yeah. And they've just been kind of retrenching. And I think that everything in the past when they were, you know, they, they had a whole, uh, really, a lot of momentum and they were just trying to burst through to IPO and everything came tumbling down before they could get there. And now they've, you know, overhauled management. Shane Smith is out. And they're just like, I think, trying to kind of like find the viable business at the core of this kind of hot gas vice brand. So the only thing I can imagine is that it's sort of a um, a bargain acquisition. See, in, in, a, in a previous iteration of Vice, I would have thought that it was a click play because Vice was always 
frankly, lying about their traffic because they've always had to represent that they are like hugely, hugely virally popular with young people. And they they did a bit of a hustle where they had all these like kind of spammy click sites that weren't really even brand advice, but they would include that in their overall traffic data that they would present. I don't think that that's what's behind this. It sounds like maybe it's just an opportunity for them to get something that, you know, Get something cheap. Get something cheap. Well, and something that will, on like a PR level, look good for their, you know, broy culture brand. That's right. Helps helps the rebranding. So maybe, but uh, duly noted. I want to duly note a Twitter thread that went viral, which will uh, prove ironic in a moment. Uh, a, a American journalist, Heidi Moore, an editor, she had this sort of. Cri de cour. How is my pronunciation? Basically, hello, you know, political journalists of America, we need to rethink shit. And I'll give you some highlights from this Twitter essay. Here is what should happen. Every editor-in-chief of a major publication should gather their political reporting teams this week and do a very deep performance review of themes, reporting, and staffing. This is a massive ongoing catastrophe in journalism, a slow-motion car crash of failed ethics and corrupt news judgment. It's been going on for four years, getting progressively worse, and it's hurting both media and the country. She writes, political coverage in the U.S. is in a crisis. It is failing. I think I agree with her up to this point. I'm like, yeah, like let's bring it on. Let's fix political coverage in the U.S. So she goes on to like list her recommendations and they include get all of your political reporters and editors off social media, all of them. Huh. That seems strange to me. There's real evidence that they cannot decide what a story is until they see their friends talking about it on Twitter. Okay. This is bad journalism. They should be making calls. Get your reporters off Twitter. They're disgracing themselves, political journalism and journalism in general. Any pitch that involves Twitter should be banned, whether it's about Trump AOC or Pelosi or anyone else, Twitter is not a valid U.S. policy platform. It is a marketing platform. To me, if politicians are making public statements, that is very valid. I take her point that we get into a bit of an echo chamber and we're looking for kind of confirmation from our colleagues of like what's important until I see other people talking about it on Twitter. I don't know that it's important. That's a valid criticism. But the idea that we should just like willfully blind ourselves to what politicians are saying on a channel that is both, as she writes, yes, it is a marketing channel, so it tells you what the politicians are trying to feed the public and how they're trying to spin things. And it's also, in certain cases, kind of like a live feed of what politicians are thinking with certain uncensored politicians, including the American president. So a lot of people were just saying, Jesse, this is amazing. What do you think of this? I want to hear your thoughts on it. And my thoughts were like, this is this is ludicrous. Twitter is annoying and I can see when you're and it is. And when you are watching something like the Democratic debates and all it is, yeah, is like Twitter then just starts like re-upping these tweets that are popular. And there's all these tweets that just have 4,000 likes or 100,000 likes. And they're all like kind of just these cynical jokes about what is, you know, playing out on TV. And I guess in some ways that's fun, but that is also has to be informing the minds um, and the opinions of the journalists writing these stories or covering this after. And I can see how that is a problem if all you're reading is like comedians and celebrities hot takes, which is what you do see on Twitter as a series of a reporter as you may be, that that... I mean, makes you cynical at least. Well, I think everything that's good about Twitter, on the other hand, it can be this kind of polarizing 
medium for kind of like extremist hot takes, which is kind of ironic that her anti-Twitter screed uh, was delivered as a polemic viral Twitter thread. Duly noted. The manhunt in Manitoba continues. Why it's proving so hard to find them. Well, RCMP had swarmed into a tiny Manitoba community, York Landing, on a tip. Okay, Allison, so this seems to be the news event of the summer. It is uh, kind of an old school, like round the clock cable news, beat by beat, even if there aren't any beats, news story. Um, it's possible that people need some catching up on this. Should I just go through? What do we know? I mean, it's a terrible story. This, uh, this couple, these backpackers were murdered and a third victim... Leonard Dick, uh, who is a uh, lecturer at University of British Columbia. And these two guys, Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod, originally were reported as being uh, missing. And then, the, and then the status changed that they were actually suspects. And now we're in the second week of this uh, manhunt. It's gone from BC to Manitoba in like really, really rough country. Yeah. I do not envy those RCMP officers that are climbing through the uh, mosquito-ridden muskeg of northern Manitoba looking for these suspects. What else can we get people up to date on? Uh, Justin Ling, I think, advanced this story when he was the first, I believe, to uh, learn of their online history, which shows that they're part of various uh, gaming communities. And in the case of Schmigelski, uh, there's photographs of him with Nazi paraphernalia, Nazi uh, swastika armband, full camo. What I want to talk about is that there's just so much breathless uh, speculation, analysis, while there's an attempt to cover the most minute details of this. I mean, it's playing out the way these things play out. And we just know so little. We don't know how it's going to end. By the time people are listening to this, it may have ended. There may be new news. We're, we're recording, of course, Wednesday. I'm interested in what this tells us about the media and how the media is going about it. And we can look at that a number of ways. The first thing is, like as, as mentioned earlier, The proportion of interest in this and the media's interest in covering this around the clock is sort of in direct opposition to the amount of information there is on hand. Yeah, totally. So, you know, you've got one of these situations where they feel like they can't turn away and talk about anything else, but there's nothing really to say for hours and hours. And then the smallest development gets heaped upon with uh, with coverage. And it leads, especially in the case of TV news, especially in the case of, of the news channels, the dedicated news channels, of putting anyone on who might have anything to say. And Podolchuk was a Manitoba RCMP officer for 20 years and is familiar with the area around Gillums. Madison Hempstead had a class with Schmigelski where the two were in the seventh grade. We want to talk about the mental toll that evading police actually has on suspects. And for that discussion, we've invited to the program right now Ju Young Lee. He's an associate professor of sociology. Clint Sawchuk is the owner of an adventure travel business called Nelson River Adventures. I am joined now with more on this by David He's a survival consultant. More on this big story. Let's bring in Les Stroud, otherwise known as Survival Mad. So, yeah, we, we, we heard from kids who went to school with them and kind of like had a conversation or two. Fair enough. Experts, 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 criminologists, psychiatrists, outdoor survival experts, uh, a guy who owns a travel business, an adventure travel business. And, and finally, Survivor Man, uh, the guy from the reality TV show, is somebody who uh, has I- insight that we all need to hear. What I wonder with this kind of coverage, and I think it's like a trap that the media steps into every time, is if there are no updates, if they don't find these guys, 
when do they stop? Yeah, like you've kind of told the country that there is nothing more important than this. Right. And that you're just going to follow every, you know, a constable stopped them before there was the APB or, you know, somebody, there's an unconfirmed sighting of them here and you're going through each little detail. Like we're, you know, we'll cover this around the clock if we have to. There's nothing more important. Mm-hmm. And then nothing happens and eventually something else happens and you, you start to turn towards, you know, the democratic debates or something. And then, you know, a week can pass, a month can pass, you know, like it goes from being around the clock coverage to once a day to once a week. As we speak, it's still the top story in the Globe and Mail's website. But then it's just like, you know, maybe the bodies are found in months or something like that or, or, or not at all. Well, and there's less that they can look for for signs of them now, because at this point, any cars that they know they've have been driving or stolen have been like burned out and found. So there's nothing else to really look for other than a body or two bodies or, you know, maybe they dropped something, but it's tougher to find them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a struggle like uh, footage of the drones taking off, you know. Oh, like yeah. I was like... watching a global footage of just someone in a helicopter flying around the town that they might be in being like, this is aerial footage of this area. But there was no audio interspaced over it. You could see like kind of the reflection of the camera guy in the window of the helicopter. Like it was just this very crude video, but it was two and a half minutes long for some reason. But I also think like if this was happening, uh, I don't know, during the upcoming federal election, as opposed to the dog days of summer that we're in right now, I think that has to be kind of part of it. It's like this is hot summer content at a time when news people are on vacation. They're kind of grasping for like a little bit of, you know, something. There's less news being made in on July 31st than during sure. other parts of the it's year. A, sort of like fits a programming slot. I mean, the other thing that occurred to me is it really pointed out to me, we talk about news bubbles that people are in. Usually it's talked about in terms of ideological news bubbles or, you know, like I like this news site and I'm totally blind to what's happening on that one. But there's also kind of a medium specific news bubble. Like this is a TV story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you get your news through TV, then you would think that this is the most important thing going on out there. If you get your news through the internet or social media, like like I, I find that like an advantage of that kind of news is that it's it's more information based than it is image based. So like you know, unless something happens, then it doesn't really you don't hold your write attention. Write an article. About Every it. now and then I see like Apple News is forcing me like a push news alert, like breaking a constable thinks he saw them, and I'm like, well, that's not really that interesting an update, and mm-hmm. I just ignore it. But you know, the setting for this is so compelling for television, even though they don't really have anything to show you. You know, like RCMP is like, well, we didn't find the guys, but we found this polar bear. Like it's got animals, it's got aerial footage of you know, like the maps, you know, and and it's it's embarrassing. It was pointed out the. Uh, the Guardian was trying to do an explainer for their international audience, uh, and they had a map of Canada, including such landmarks as Quebec and Montreal, with two A's. Um, Good thing they didn't try to put Regina on that map. Yeah. <laughs> what else can we uh, make from this? I think that the most interesting discussion that's been revolving around this coverage is, I mean, you know, it, we've seen this again and again, but this is this is sort of a prime example. The portrayal of these guys, not as wanted men who are suspected of multiple murders, but as boys, as teens, and caring, as caring good. nice kids gone wrong. Yeah. They're just kids on an adventure. Like, they're good boys. Cam is a kind, considerate, caring young man and has always been concerned about other people's He's a feelings. nice kid, very quiet. So... This has been remarked upon by people including Vicky Machama and Andre Domiz, uh, former hosts of uh, 
Kendall and Commons them both, Pia Charpare as well, that not only would this be very different if these were racialized young men. I mean, can you imagine if uh, somebody found, as Justin Ling found, you know, one of these guys in Nazi paraphernalia, imagine if one of them had been found, if they were Muslim and one of them had been found in ISIS paraphernalia, Mm -hmm. that would be the story. You know, that we have an ISIS mass murderer, that there's a terrorist attack, or if they were, you know, black militant type of regalia. I think it's almost a certainty that the coverage would be incredibly different. But the point was made that it's not simply that alleged white people are treated differently than alleged black or otherwise racialized young people, but that these guys are actually being treated better than black victims. Yeah. You know, examples are given of of when young black people are killed and there's all kinds of insinuations about them or their state of mind or or when uh, Tina Fontaine was murdered, the drugs in her body and things like that. So that's, that's kicked off, you know, it, it's, it's sort of a debate we've been having and a discussion we've been having over a course of these tragic stories. I mean, I think the attempts to characterize them as non-threatening are uh, nonsense. Like, First of all, they're both six foot four. So these aren't like small boys. These are adult men, right? Mm -hmm. Plus, hot take, but age is one of the strongest factors associated with criminal behavior. The people most likely to commit crimes are between the ages of 17 and 25. And usually those people are men. So, I mean, the idea that even we as a society think like, teen boy, you know, cute and nice, wouldn't, shouldn't be worried about them, I think is wrong. Sort of who we should most be worried about. We should about. be most be worried about, which is not to defend the use of the word teens in stories. I think we just need to recapitulate how we think about it, teens as well. I, I feel like, you know, there's something that kind of gets twisted every time this comes up when the media gets criticized for like being too compassionate. Like, why are you being so nice to these guys? As if the um, the demand is, we want you to dehumanize them the same way that you dehumanize young black people. And I think that it's it's kind of like the opposite. I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with trying to figure out how they may have gone astray. You know what I mean? Like like the problem is that we that we so rarely would would extend that same consideration and and humanize people. Otherwise, and in fact, there would be like an incredible amount of political pressure if this was a young ISIS radicalized uh, person to figure out who fucked up, who missed the warning signs. Was there any way, did anyone in the mosque know that he was radicalized? Let's interrogate his friends. Let's interrogate his community. Let's find out if he left any breadcrumbs online. Did his teachers know? Whereas here we have, you know, people who were in class with him saying, oh yeah, he used to tell me that he was going to kill me and then kill himself. And at this point... In these kind of like, you know, regularly, like on a weekly or monthly basis, young white men with some sort of racist connection killing people, do we kind of raise the flag of like, you know, if you see something, say something, if somebody starts talking that kind of shit? I think absolutely. One of the things that the father of Shmigelski, one of the suspects, said about him was that his son had an interest in, quote, guns, ancestry and combat simulation. Like, what a it's, fucking combo. It's fucking terrifying. Ancestry? Ancestry, guns, and combat simulation. Uh, that that reads Nazi to me. Yeah. Uh, the, the dad, I mean, the other thing is that we're in this very meta moment where it's almost like on like the fifth season of a reality show where people know, oh, I'm the bad guy on the reality show, so I'm going to act like the bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's like the dad, first he's giving these quotes that I'm sure the journalists are like, wow, this is hot, hot 
tape. Like the, you know, the dad is like, he's going to go out in a blaze of glory. I just know it, you know, um, which is a strange thing to say about your son. The parents of the other suspect, Cam, um, are released a statement that is much more what you would expect from parents, which is like, we just want him alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the father of, uh, of Briar Schmigelski, this Alan Schmigelski, is saying, oh, yeah, I expect my kid to be killed in this. That's probably what he's after. And then is like hawking some self-published book, which, you know, certain uh, media outlets have been only too happy to like reprint excerpts of that are like stories uh, apparently written whilst in a a drunken bender about how his ex-wife done him wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I don't care to know so much. It's just it's just interesting that he understands, oh, this is I'm getting some international attention right now and it's to be exploited for my own interests, uh, you know? No, yeah, for sure. I don't think we're getting much out of this dad who I actually feel really bad for. Um, I mean, I feel bad for I, any parent in the circumstances. And he seems sure. like he's uh, I don't know. He's sad. Life seems a bit rough for the guy. And I mean, Hawking the book is weird. I don't know. It's all just kind of like this depressing angle that makes the story worse and really doesn't get us anywhere. I mean, we just know so little. I mean, th- th- these three murders themselves and what connection this has to these the, to, to the the Nazi stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, who knows what happened? Like, who knows if we'll who knows if we'll ever know. Mm-hmm. Allison, that is Canada Land Shortcuts for this week. Thank you for joining me for it. Thanks, Jesse. Everybody can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Allison, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at at Queens Park Today. And you can smash that subscribe button on Wag the Doug. Check out Wag the Doug, a new episode of the live taping where an act of God intervened. And that's all I will say for now. That'll be going up soon. Check out Wag the Doug. Uh, our website is CanadaLandShow.com. There you will find uh, this week's episode of Oppo, in which Jen and Justin actually almost convinced me that we need to pay political hacks more in this country. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb. Welcome, Tiffany. And our managing editor, Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, if you would like to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us on Patreon. We rely on your support, and you can find us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.